0: But I think what Paul's getting at in this verse is like there's something different. So for the Christian, there's another level in terms of how we reflect the glory of God. And it is through being transformed into his likeness. So yeah, like, there, there's like a there's like a physical reality to, to like our, you know, be, being human that reflects the glory of God. But as Christians, we go a step further. We go beyond that, right? So like don't satisf- don't, don't become satisfied, don't become content. Don't make peace with areas of your life that don't look like Christ. Like wage war. Like refuse to just be like, that's the way it is, that's the way it's always gonna be. We are in this process of becoming like Jesus throughout our life. Let me just, let me just show you this if you're taking notes. The promise of the New Testament, I believe, is nothing short of full-on transformation. It's the promise of the New Testament, the promise of the Christian life, the promise that you and I can change to become like Jesus. Hey, we're in week five of a teaching series called Jesus, uh, and I'm uh, just so excited about, about this series. Um, we've just been, uh, if you've been with us, you know we've been in this series from uh, the beginning of the year so far till now. We're going to continue in this series all the way up through Easter Sunday, and uh, it's, uh, it, it's just uh, taken a huge chunk of the year. Uh, we're just talking about Jesus. I think it's a, kind of an important person to focus on. Uh, and what we're really doing, like, like, the goal of the series is really for us to take a deep dive into learning, you know, not just who Jesus is, but into learning how Jesus lived his life. Um, I, I think that, that the way Jesus lived is, is, is pretty incredible. In fact, I've said this uh, just about each week so far, but, but like, I, I, am, I am convinced that 2,000 years ago, we see an entirely new way of life introduced in the Gospels like a way of life that did not exist in the world until then. Like you look, you look in, in prior history, you know, ancient civilizations, uh, there would not have been a way of life that would have rivaled what we see introduced in the Gospels. And since then, uh, th- there are no new ways of life that have been introduced into the world even up until now that would rival what we see in the Gospels. And so what we see is a new way of life introduced called the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is completely upside down. It's completely counter to the values and the rhythms of a secular culture. and The, the, the way of Jesus, you know, if I were to give you like, like a little bit of an example, it would be like what John 10, 10 describes as the abundant life. Or in other translations, it, it calls it the life that is life, meaning that this is, like, this is a, a, the life that, that you're invited to live, and there is no other life that compares to it. And so I I just truly believe that there is an open invitation from Jesus to you, from Jesus to me, into this way of life. There is an open invitation to you and me to be a disciple of Jesus, or put another way, there's an open invitation to become an apprentice of Jesus. Now, to be an apprentice of Jesus is to really live into three major concepts we've been talking about. So if you're taking notes or you just want to get refreshed, look at this with me. Number one is to be with Jesus. Number two is to become like Jesus, and then number three is to do what Jesus did, okay? How many of y'all know we're living in some crazy times, right? How many of y'all know, like, life is just nuts? Like, 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 the current reality of the world is unlike anything you and I could have written or predicted five years ago, you know? Just crazy. But, but it's, not, it's not just crazy out there. How many of y'all know it's, like, crazy in here? Like, like, it's just nuts. Like, we're all dealing with something. There's all, all of us facing things. Life is intense. And I'm just convinced that, like, the need of the moment or the need of the hour is for men and women to actually rise up who have been with Jesus, who are like Jesus, and who are doing the kinds of things that Jesus did in this world, right? Can I get a good, yeah, there, there you go. Um, all right, so, right, this is what, this is what we need, like, because, because here's the deal, like, you know, in case you didn't realize, like, Jesus is the hope of the world, right? I mean, he is, he is the answer to, like, every, every issue of life, everything we are facing right now. Jesus is the answer, and, uh, and what's interesting about that is that for some reason he decided that like, the best way to manifest this hope on planet earth is through people like you and people like me. Right? That like you and I are quite literally Jesus with skin on in like the world right now. Isn't is that a crazy thought? And so the world, I think, more than ever, just needs men and women of God who are gonna rise up and who are gonna like first like be with Jesus, become like him, like truly try to emulate his life, and then go do the things he did. And, and make a difference, bring, bringers of the kingdom of God in the here and now, amen? And, and so what we've done in this series, like you can tell why I'm, why I'm excited, why I'm passionate, why like this matters, like this matters more than a lot of other things maybe we've taught. Like this matters an, an awful lot. And so what we've just done is we've just decided to, to teach through these, these core concepts, you know, one by one, each week, in depth. And so, you know, we finished the first one already last week, Be With Jesus. If you haven't been with us, you missed a couple, they're really good. <laughs> They're really good. You're going to want to catch up. It's good for you. Uh, and so, today, what we're going to do is start taking a, a, a fresh look, a, a, a brand new look at what does it really mean to become like Jesus? What does it really mean to become like Jesus? So we're in the middle section of this series, you know, and we're going to start looking at what it means to be like Him. And here, here's why we want to do this if you're taking notes. Because we want to we know Jesus so well that our lives would rightly reflect who He is. We want to know Jesus so well that our lives would rightly reflect who he is. How many of you know that, like, being with Jesus is what allows us to then know Jesus? Right? And then knowing Jesus is what allows us to then rightly reflect him to people around us. There are people everywhere you look with an opinion about who Jesus is. Or, like, everybody has an opinion on Jesus. Like, even people who have no religious affiliation would have an opinion on Jesus. It's amazing to me. It's really interesting to me how there are people who don't even know Jesus, but they have an opinion about him. You know? And so, like, this is why, like, like, just as your pastor, I'm like, hey, guys, like, like, I really want you to know him. Like, I really want you to, like, be with him so that then your life will rightly reflect who he is to people in this world, right? And so I know you're convinced, like, like, like this sounds great, right? Like, you're not, no one's putting up a fight so far. But like, how? Like, how do you do this? How do you actually do this? How do you actually reflect Jesus rightly? How do you actually become like him? I got, I got you, okay? I'm going to get you there. Why don't you look at this short parable with me in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, two verses, right? Short parable. Jesus is speaking, obviously, in verse 39 through 40. And it says, He told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher, it's really interesting, pretty wise words from someone who knew a lot. So what's this parable about? Like what, what is this parable really communicating? Well, it's a parable about discipleship or, or apprenticeship, like we've talked about. It's a parable about knowing the teacher so that you can become like the teacher. That's really what's going on here. Like, if, like if you're with me, if you know me, if you're with your teacher, you can then become like him. And this parable is really interesting. There's so much packed into two verses, but in this parable, there's a, there's a sentence that that, 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 is, that is interesting. It's it's this this reference the blind leading the blind, and it's a reference really to the Pharisees. And The Pharisees, you know, if, if you don't know, or just give you a quick little recap: the Pharisees are like these 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 like uber religious people, right? They they are like the ones at the top of the pecking order in terms of like like you know everything religious. But what Jesus continues to communicate about the Pharisees is that they're nice and shiny and clean on the outside, but like but they're really like not not so much on the inside. In fact, Matthew 24 is where Jesus calls them a brood of vipers, right? And he says, he says you're, like, you're like whitewashed tombs, right? He says, he says, you're nice and shiny and clean on the outside, but on the inside, you're dead. That's what he calls the Pharisees because there's, it's all about like projecting an image on the outside that they're not living on the inside, okay? And so, and so J- Jesus is, 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 oh, I mean, many times he calls out the Pharisees, but in, but in, in this uh, parable specifically, he, he is referencing them by saying, can a blind man lead a blind man? Repeatedly in the, in the four Gospels, Jesus refers to the Pharisees as blind guides. Let me just give you one quick example in Matthew 15. It's really, really, really interesting because, like, the disciples come to Jesus because Jesus has been saying some things that have offended people. I mean, he did that, right? And so the disciples are coming, coming to him, and this is what they, they say to Jesus. Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? And Jesus, Jesus replies, he says, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. 14, leave them. They are blind guides. And then then here's similar language to Luke 6. If a, man, if a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. So when Jesus is talking here in Luke 6, he's talking about like, like these, these Pharisees or these people who, who are projecting an image on the outside, but that's not really who they are on the inside as the ones who are leading people, a blind man leading a... Blind man. He's essentially saying that there are blind rabbis, people who are blind spiritually, and that if you if you follow them, you will become blind too. That's really what's going on. So flip back to, to Luke 6 with me. Verse 40, you know how you notice how Jesus says, like a student is not above his teacher. Okay, so that, that word student right there, we could we could swap that out with a couple other words we've been using in the series so far, like disciple or apprentice. You could say like a disciple is not above his teacher, or an apprentice is not above his master. You could you could fill it in, look at and in, and in, uh, understand it that way. And he goes on. Jesus makes this promise, which I think is really profound, and it's this promise that every student that is fully trained will become like his teacher. It's a pretty interesting thought. Every student that is fully trained will become like his teacher. So here's the deal. If someone can be fully trained, is it reasonable for us to assume that someone could be partially trained as well? Like, I, th- I think we, we get that, right? We know that. Like, someone's fully trained, they can become like their teacher. But somebody who's partially trained is probably not going to be like their teacher, okay? So this training that Jesus is talking about in Luke 6, it's like an intentional type of training. It's, it's not something that someone just simply stumbles into. In other words, you don't stumble into Christlikeness. Like, you don't, you don't wake up one morning and roll out of bed and, like, hey, now I'm like Jesus, you know? Like, this isn't something that you just, you just stumble into or, or, like, living on default or cruise control. Like, all of a sudden, you've arrived at the destination you really want to be at. It doesn't work like that. This is an intentional process of training to become like their teacher that Jesus is describing or their rabbi. In this case, becoming, you and I, becoming like Jesus. And here's the deal. Here, here's what's communicated, really, is that it takes time. It's not an overnight process. Don't you wish it was? And so, this, this is what I, I, I'm really trying to say. The reality this morning is that most of us are not fully trained. Most of us are not fully trained. And that is, that is not a knock. That's not an insult. I'm not like kicking you in the teeth while you're down, okay? Like, I mean, honestly, how many of you feel fully trained? Like, answer that for yourself. How many of you in this room, like, feel fully trained? Very few of us. And so for those of us who are not fully trained, I want you to look at the slide with me on the screen if you're taking notes. If, if you're an apprentice of Jesus and your goal is to be with Jesus first, right, and then to become like Jesus, then you're going to have to go through some significant change. Significant change. If I asked you the question this morning, how many of you are like Jesus? How many of you are Jesus-like? Who among us this morning would raise not just one hand but two? Oh, yeah. Easy. Got it. Figured out. Right? Anybody? Like, absolutely not, right? It's, 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 it's hard. Most of us feel very inadequate when it comes to being like Jesus. Like, some of you are like, I didn't even realize this was the expectation. Like, someone could have told me. I didn't realize. Like, wow, like, he's kind of the son of God. Like, how do I? But, like, honestly, this is the expectation of, of, of Scripture in the New Testament. Like, that our lives would be formed to look more like him and less like, like us. So this is why when it comes to Jesus, to following him, we're going to have to change some things if we want to be like him. And, look, I want to just tell you this. Like, when I say change, I don't, I don't mean tweak. Like, I, when I say change, I don't mean tweak, like, self-help, like, just let's move a few things out of the way. Like, I, like I mean, like, an actual, real-deal life change. And this is, this is if I could be honest with you, this is, like, the tension. This is where, like, I always bump into pushback with people. I mean, over the years of being a pastor, this is it right here. Because this idea of change— is oftentimes when most people begin to resist the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And what I mean by that is, like, what I have found over the years is that it's not that people are opposed to being like Jesus. Because I I think we all are like, yeah, sure, that's the ideal. If I could be more like Jesus, that'd be awesome. So I've never ran into people who are like, like, I don't want to be like Jesus. Everybody, you know, calls themselves a Christian, like, wants to be more like Jesus. But what I have noticed is that most people are are, are not opposed to becoming like Jesus just not at the expense of becoming less like themselves like i'll take i'll take some jesus but like i, I don't want to have to like lay some things down i don't want have to like 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 see some actual change take place in my life and 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 so you know it's like what, what the apostle john writes in john 3 30 he says this you know if you're, if you're taking notes he says he must become greater i must become less this is the idea like, of what we're talking about today and this is where we struggle because how can jesus increase unless we decrease how can Jesus actually increase in your life if some things aren't moved out of the way? And this, this, is, this is the tension, and this is, this is what I always bump into with people who, who feel like maybe they're stuck spiritually or they're, they're on a, they're on a, a journey, that just, like the children of Israel in the wilderness, to keep going around in circles. Like, I feel like I've seen this same movie, like, tons of times. It's like, because most often, like, like we are compelled by the thought of being like Jesus, but we are resistant to actually changing anything in our life that would allow us to move in that direction beyond where we are currently comfortable. Dallas Willard says this, and he's, he's pretty awesome, by the way. He says this. He says, make sure you aren't living vampire Christianity. This is where one, in effect, says to Jesus, I'd like a little of your blood, please, but I don't care to be your student or have your character. In fact, won't you just excuse me while I get on with my life and I'll see you in heaven? Right? Like this, I mean, I know this is a lot right here. And I, and I definitely used it for some shock value. Uh, but like this is, this is so true, is it not? Because I think, I, think, I think most of us, like we come to a place of just like, like, like hitting that wall and going like, I don't know that I'm ever gonna go beyond where I'm at. I don't know that I'm ever going like, to actually continue to grow spiritually. I don't know that I'm actually, actually going to continue to change or transform. I, I, I don't really want to go there. I don't want to have to deal with that. I don't want to have to you know, go through the process of seeing like these painful things uprooted and torn out of my life so that I can actually live in, uh, like Jesus and manifest his, his, his power and his love to the world around us. I mean this in the most loving way possible right here, if you're taking notes. Most of us need a radical overhaul of our entire person, from the inside out in order to become like Jesus. I wonder if I should say that differently. All of us need a radical overhaul of our entire person from the inside out in order to become like Jesus. Well, So, so the term used in the New Testament for this, this kind of change, it's, it's the word um, transformation. So, so this type of radical change, like, like to become more like Jesus, this overhaul of our entire person from the inside out, the New Testament uses the word many times in many places, the word transformation. And I want to just show you uh, a place in uh, 2 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And so in chapter 3, Paul writes this, and he says, this is such a good verse. So, like, you know, if you're on your phones, you're playing Candy Crush, like, look up, right? Like, <laughs> catch this right now. Like, all right, listen up. This is such a good verse. Don't think I don't see you. Like, I know. I know some of you playing games. Okay, so, listen. All right. Man, I can feel the tension. I love tension. Okay, I love it. All right. Look at this. This is so good right here. First Corinthians chapter 3. Paul writes, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed, there's that word, into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay, so there's a, I want to unpack this for a second, because there's, there's such good truth in this verse. You know what Paul, Paul is, is addressing here? So he says, we with un, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. He's really talking about how we're all created in, in, in God's image. So he's, he's, he's referencing back to, to Genesis, right, to creation, to the creation of man. That like, we're created in God's image, or that we are image-bearers of God. So physically speaking, what, what Paul is saying, our unveiled faces— our, our physical features, they reflect his glory because they bear his image. The thing is with that is that's true of all humanity. That, that, that's true of those who belong to God and those who don't. Like, all of humanity is, is, is created in the image of God. All of humanity, those who are close to God and those who are far from him, those who live in the U.S. and those who live in other countries, right? Those who live in you know, all different shapes and sizes and colors, like, all are made in the divine image of God. And so because of that, they all reflect God's glory. But I think what Paul's getting at in this verse is like they're, they're, there's something different. So for the Christian, there's another level in terms of how we reflect the glory of God. And it is through being transformed into his likeness. So yeah, like, there, there's, like a, there's like a physical reality to, to like our, you know, be, being human that reflects the glory of God. But as Christians, we go a step further. We go beyond that, right? And it's through being transformed into his likeness so that our thoughts, our actions, and our words are the kinds of things that resemble Jesus' thoughts and actions and words as well. well that's just the way I am. I just, I just talk like that. I can't help it. No, 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 listen. Like, there's no shame here. There's, I'm, not, I'm not kicking you at all. But like, no, 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 that's not the goal. Like, that's not the goal. We don't, I don't want you to be more like you. I want you to be more like Jesus. It's so like, don't, satisf- don't, don't become satisfied. Don't become content. Don't make peace with areas of your life that don't look like Christ like wage war, like refuse to just be like, that's the way it is, that's the way it's always going to be. We are in this process of becoming like Jesus throughout our life. Let me just, let me just show you this if you're taking notes. The promise of the New Testament, I believe, is nothing short of full-on transformation. It's the promise of the New Testament, It's the promise of the Christian life, the promise that you and I can change to become like Jesus. Let me give you just a few examples, some classics, right? There's several all throughout the New Testament. Let me give you some classics that really promise this full-on transformation. Second Corinthians 5:17, Paul writes, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone; the new has come." We love that one. Paul writes to the church in Galatia, Galatians chapter two: "I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me." Okay, we good? 1 John chapter 5, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Right? And world, you know, we're talking about world here. It's not about, like, people. We don't over, we're not overcoming people. Like, sometimes when we think of the world, we think of, like, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. Like, that's not what's going on here. He's talking about, like, 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 the evil system that's in place by the kingdom of darkness. We overcome that world through our faith. Well, these are awesome promises. Like, do you all believe this? Like, it's good stuff, right? You're probably, you're probably in your head and intellectually, I think we all probably agree that the promise of the New Testament is nothing short of full-on transformation, but how many of you feel like a new creation right now? Right? How many of you feel like your old life was really crucified with Jesus? How many of you feel victorious in this moment? It's kind of like um, kind of like the children of Israel when they were wandering in, in, in the wilderness, you know. God had brought them out of slavery. But you remember, like, more than one time in the wilderness, like, they would begin to gripe and complain because they felt like God wasn't taking care of them. And, in fact, in more than one occasion, they, like, they longed to go back to Egypt because they thought life was better back then. And the thing, the thing about the children of Israel is, like, they had come out of Egypt, but e- Egypt hadn't come out of them. I think a lot of times that's what we feel, like we've come into this new life, we're in this new place, we're in this new place with Jesus, but man, it seems like there's a lot of things from like prior life and prior habits that continue to travel with us into this new life with Jesus. So I think, I think many of us can feel a huge disconnect between the promise of transformation in the New Testament and our current reality, and it causes us to wonder, if you're taking notes, is this kind of change possible? And if so, how do we become like Jesus? Like, is this kind of change even possible, right? Like, it just seems more like, like an ideal, like, like something like you, you, like, you, you hope for, but you know you'll never actually get there, you know? And so, is it even actually possible? I want I us to just downshift for a second right here, okay? And I want to I slow down and really think about this question for a minute. Is this kind of change possible? Like, think about it. I want you to think about it, like, not just at a head level. I want you to let let this question get into your heart for a second. Like, is this kind of change actually possible? This radical, from the ground up, life transformation, is it actually possible? Like, we all know, like, the Bible says we're new. New creation. But it sure seems like for me, maybe for you, that a lot of the old life has traveled with us into our new life in Christ. And so understandably, at times, we wonder, like, is this transformation really even possible that we read about in the New Testament? So the answer, good news, is yes, but it's probably not what you think it is. Transformation does not just happen in a moment. It happens over the course of a lifetime. Transformation does not, let me say it again, doesn't just happen in a moment. It happens over the course of a lifetime of following Jesus. So I come from a... a, a church tradition that would be considered highly charismatic, okay? Believe in prayer, believe in miracles, all that stuff. And so it's very common in that tradition for people to come up for prayer who have like an addiction. They got something in their life. They got some brokenness. They got some pain. They got some relational issues. They got some things, some finances. They come up after service, want some prayer. We'll pray. They want a miracle, right? And the thing is like most people like in those situations, they want, they, they want freedom in a moment, they want transformation to happen in a moment. They don't want to have to, like, they don't want to have to work for a transformation that, that, that starts to, to uh, uh, kind of unfold over a lifetime. I always tell people, like, like, I can pray and you can get free in a moment. But getting free in a moment, uh, like, I don't just want to pray prayers that, that, that set you free. I want, to, I want us to, like, start to pray prayers that, like, keep you free. I want us to start to do things that, like, keep you free over the course of your life, right, that, that actually bring life lifelong transformation. This, this kind of reminds me of like a scene in uh, early 2000's great classic movie, The Matrix. Uh, right, you guys remember the movie? And there's a fourth one that just came out, and I just can't bring myself to, to see it, right? It just seems like, I don't know. But uh, I've heard some bad, some, some, yeah, bad reviews. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, you know, just not, not a fan. So, but in this scene in The Matrix, uh, I don't know if you guys remember the first movie, but there's this, da- there's this like, download scene where uh, Neo and Trinity, they come out on this like rooftop and they see this, this helicopter up, up, up there and Neo says to Trinity, he says, can you fly that thing? And Trinity says, not yet. And then you, you see her like begin to communicate with the, the operator and she says, operator, I need a pilot program for a B-12 helicopter. And then she's sitting there and, she, and then all of a sudden she, just, she like comes to her senses and she's like, got it. And then she can go off and fly this B-12 helicopter. Now, I bring that up because that's pretty cool in a movie pretty cool in a movie, but it's not how apprenticeship to Jesus works, right? It's just not how it happens. I wish it was that easy. I wish it was like, hey, Jesus, I need, I need a download for peace. Got it. I wish it was like, hey, Jesus, I need, I need a download for patience because my kids, man, got it. I wish it was like, hey, Jesus, like, I've got this addiction. I need a download for that addiction right now. Got it. Like, I wish it was that simple, and that would be pretty cool. Unfortunately, like most of the time, that's just absolute fantasy. And it just doesn't work like that most of the time. Now, I've seen it. I've seen people delivered in a moment. I've seen people just, I've seen God do that. But most of the time, it is not like an instantaneous thing because transformation does not happen in a moment. Transformation happens over a lifetime. It's what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. And so the term... Um, I want us to use for becoming more like Jesus. It's kind of like a little bit more of an old-fashioned term, but uh, I love it. Uh, It's called spiritual formation. This is really the process I want to talk about when it comes to becoming more like Jesus. Again, Willard says this, spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship or apprenticeship with Jesus, our teacher. This is great stuff so what he's i love i love love this right he's he's saying like to become like jesus you've got to become increasingly possessed and permeated by the character traits of jesus this is this is how we do it like like his way his way of life the way he thinks the way he interacts with people we start to become like 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 consumed with with that and these are the things we want to have you know mark us and shape us and be the things that flow out of our life as well John Mark Cormor says this. He says, spiritual formation is not a Christian thing. It's a human thing. And what he he really means by this is he, he really means like we're all being shaped. Like whether you realize it or not, we're all being shaped in this room. We're all being formed every second of every minute of every hour of every day. You and I, like we are being formed. We are being shaped. Put another way, we are all becoming a disciple of something or someone. The question is not, are you an apprentice of some, something or someone? The question is, who or what are you an apprentice of? Right? It's the question. Look at, this, look at this with me on the screen. So if we're all being formed and shaped, then what are we being shaped into? If we're all being formed and shaped by something or someone, then what are we actually being shaped into? I want to I wanna kind of just show you maybe the difference between someone who approaches their spiritual formation in default mode and maybe somebody who approaches it intentionally. Because there's, there's a vast difference. And so I want to I give you some examples. And, and it's not an exhaustive list by any means. We probably could have come up with, you know, 10, 12, 15, 20 of these scenarios. I just want to give you a few examples So you can show this first one on the screen. Like, default formation is where you're being shaped by the stories you're told to believe. Okay? So left to default, we will simply become shaped by the cultural stories we are told to believe. The stories or the narratives you believe are essentially the way of reading the data. This is why, like, you know, we live in a time that's, like, incredibly divisive. And so you have people who, li- who live on this side, people who live on this side. There's not a lot of people in the middle these days, it feels like. But, but like on just about every issue, and all that really is is like people reading the data differently. Like on every social issue, every political issue, it's, like, it's how you're reading the data. So the stories or the narratives that you believe or you buy into is really how you're reading the data. Let me give you an example on, on something that... I mean, it's so prevalent. I mean, let me just talk about sexuality for a second. Okay? So, there, how many y'all you know that there is a story around sexuality in secular culture right now that you are told to believe? There's a story, there's a narrative about sexuality right now in secular culture that you and I are expected to believe if we are good human beings. Okay? That it doesn't really matter. Embrace what you want to embrace, do what makes you feel good. Love is love, all that stuff. And so the traditional Orthodox Christian sexual ethic, we are told, is repressive and it's harmful. And who would believe that? That's so out of date. That's so out of touch. And so this cultural story, just as an example, is centered around the idea that there is no authority from outside of yourself that can tell you how to live your life. You get determined for yourself what is right for you. This is, let me just tell you, a very, very, very harmful story, but... If you buy into the story, then you will become shaped by the story. So default formation, okay, is when you are being shaped by the stories you are told to believe, okay? It's default. That's just left to like, this is where you just wake up out of bed in the morning, you go to work, and you just assimilate to the, to the cultural narratives and stories that exist, you know, around you. And you're like, okay, that's it. And so you become formed by these narratives and these stories. Now let me just show you a t- intentional formation, okay? You can go back to that, that slide for a second this is where you are, you are being formed, not by the stories that we see in culture, but you're being formed by the teaching that you are submitted to. Okay? This so where you're being, you're being formed by the teaching that you are submitted to. Uh, a pastor I follow a lot, his name is John Tyson, and he wrote a, a tiny little book called A Creative Minority. And in it, he starts to talk about, um, he talks about, the, like, narratives and how, like, you know, you and I, like, as Christians, like, we live into a different narrative than the rest of the world. Like, like we, we just do. And, and, and so the teaching that you submit yourself to is how you intentionally form yourself into becoming more and more like Christ. Okay? And not just teaching, good teaching, by the way. Good teaching. Teaching is incredibly important for our spiritual formation. And let me just explain to you why real quick. And I'm, I'm not just, like, giving myself, like, a, like a short commercial why you need to come and, like, sit in church and listen to the sermon. But it is kind of that. Uh, Good teaching does more than simply just just tell you right from wrong, okay? Good teaching lays out a vision of the abundant life. It's not just like, hey, do this, don't do that. Good teaching that you submit yourself to, it lays out this vision that there's more, that there, there's more to life than like, you know, what you see in, in, in maybe, maybe the dominant culture. And, and so you start to live into this. It's a, it's a compelling vision to live into the way of Jesus. And so you can see the difference between being left to sort of default versus pursuing like intentional formation in your life. Good teaching is meant to undermine the cultural stories that you have believed are true. So That's why you come here, like you come here and, you know... Uh, Pastor Josh and I like you know predominantly like we are we are teaching each week in a way that undermines stories that you are told to believe day in and day out stories like as long as it makes you happy right stories like hey what they don't know can't hurt them stories like what you have and you own is yours no one can tell you how to live like these are all stories like we are told and taught to believe, believe but good teaching says hey that's not true good teaching says hey that's a lie actually and this is the real, true story of reality. Listen to this, right? So good teaching helps us jump, jump the tracks from the stories of culture into the redemptive story of God. And this is part of how we intentionally form ourselves into becoming more like Jesus. Just one of the examples. So Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul writes and says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be, what's the word, what's the word, what's the word? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So don't just conform to what everybody else is doing. Don't just conform to the cultural narratives and cultural stories, right? Like, like jump out of that. Submit yourself to good teaching that can actually confront those lies and be like, hey, that's not, that's not true, actually. Like, everything you own does not belong to you. Everything you have is a gift from God. Everything we have as Christians belongs to God, Like, right? Like, like Christianity, like, like, the good teaching starts to, starts to just shift our thoughts and our views around Around how we see life, and it's just one of the ways you intentionally form yourself, become like Jesus. Let me look at, look at this next one with me. Default formation is where you're being formed by your habits. Intentional formation, you're being formed by what you're practicing. And you can just leave that up here for a minute. So default formation is the idea here that, that what we do on a regular basis, we become, okay? Uh, put another way, and I like this thought, like the things we do do something to us right? This, this, this is the idea right here. The things we do over time do something to us. They form us. They shape us. Our habits, you know what happens with habits? They tend to get in the core, into the core of our being, and then they start to shape our loves and our longings. That's what happens with habits. What in the New Testament calls your heart, like that, that's, that's what happens. Like our, over time, left unchecked, left allowed to grow out of control, it starts to affect what the New Testament calls our heart. Our heart. And so what you love is shaped by your habits and has far more of an effect on you than what you know to be true in your mind. Okay? So default formation, just becoming formed by my habits. So the things we do, remember, they do something to us over time. The things that we don't do, right, that also has an effect on us. So intentional formation is this. It's not that you're being formed by your habits. You're being formed by what you're practicing. Okay? It's different. It's different. You're being formed by what you're practicing. Sermon on the Mount, this is like Jesus' manifesto of what it means to, to live as his apprentice in the world, right? We did a whole series on this like a couple years ago. And over the summer, um, Jesus is Better, if you remember that, that series. But like, or no, 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 that's Hebrews. But we did, we did last summer, I think, was the Summer on the Mount. So it's really his manifesto of what it means to live as an apprentice in planet Earth, and he begins and ends his sermon with the idea of practice. Like, you can go read it, like, of practice, putting, putting these things into practice, like doing these things, practicing these things. So for Jesus, this whole vision for how to be human here on earth, it's pretty incredible when you read through the Sermon on the Mount. It's unbelievable. But I think what we also catch in Jesus' tone in the Sermon on the Mount is that he assumes that it will take a lifetime of practice in community to get it done. You're not going to snap your fingers one day and instantly become great at loving your enemy. Right? You're not going to snap your fingers one day and instantly become great, you know, and and never worry again. You know, like, okay, sweet, I read that. I'm, I'm good to go. The way of Jesus takes a lifetime of practice in community, listen, with other apprentices of Jesus. Talked about that a lot last week. And I would, just, I would just say this too, like, you know, we don't become like Jesus in a year or two. Like, we're becoming like Jesus. You don't just become like Jesus in a year or two. Like, you, you, don't, you don't become like Jesus by taking like a couple classes here at, at the church. And, you know, like that's not going to instantly make you more like Jesus. Like, it might help. It might actually help. I, I think it will. And you probably should take my class. But Christ-likeness happens over time, okay? It happens over time. And I, and I tell you all that because, like, this needs to be said in the age of the microwave. Like, this needs to be said in the age of FedEx and Amazon Prime two-day delivery and Wi-Fi and email and text messaging and social media. The world just at your fingertips. This needs to be said because you still can't microwave character. And you still can't overnight Christ-likeness. Right? It takes time. You can't text it to somebody. All you can do is grow it like a tree over time. Practice is what over time changes our loves and our longings, our dreams, our attitudes and our affections and so if you look at that, that, that slide again, you know, so here, here's the difference. Default formation, I'm just being formed by my habits. I'm just, I'm just living life in default mode and what I don't realize is all these things I'm doing are having an effect on my soul and they're forming me into something that does not look like Jesus. So to intentionally step out of that, I start to actually practice the presence of Jesus like we talked about a few weeks ago. I start to practice Christ-likeness. I actually start to intentionally wrap my mind around how can I do the, these things? How can I incorporate these into my life? And over time of practicing this, it actually forms me and shapes me. It pulls me out of the way of the world, and it, and it brings me into the way of Jesus. All right, third one. This is, this is the last one, right, that I got, I think. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? I love keeping you on your toes. Like, I'm, I mean, I probably could go for another hour, but I won't. But I love you just wondering, like, is he, is he getting close? Like, I'm, I don't know. Default formation, you're being formed by the relationships you surround yourself with. Intentional formation, you're being formed by the community you belong to. I talked about this a lot last week, and I just, I just want to plug it again because it's so critical. It's also fresh on my mind, so I'm like, yeah, let's do that again. So, we all know this to be true when you talk about default formation, being formed by the relationships you surround yourself with. Because we become like the people we hang out with on a regular basis. We just do. Pretty soon you start dressing like them, right? Remember that? Remember that? Maybe that in high school, college. Maybe some of you still do that, no judgment, right? <laughs> Although some of you start coming and dressing like me, I'm just gonna take like a compliment, right? Be like a trendsetter. <laughs> but uh, the odds are, you know, that, that over time you start to become like, like your friends. Start to, start to dress like them, start to act like them. Maybe you're someone who's like super independent. And you're like, I would never, you know, so I'm never gonna, I would never dress like my friends. I'm gonna intentionally like, you're like, like, you know, super individualistic. Well, I hate to break it to you. Odds are, if you don't dress like your friends, you at least think like your friends or you vote like your friends, right? Odds are. I remember years ago, like, um, you know, I, I told you guys before, my, I grew up as a pastor's kid and my, my dad and mom, they took us to this, Pastors Conference in Southern California, and at this conference, uh, a global pastor, people, you know, some of you may know, is uh, was speaking at it. His name is Brian Houston, and he pastors, like, Hillsong Global Church, and his son, Joel, some of you might know, like, he's written a ton of, like, worship songs, uh, Joel Houston, and uh, he's my age, about the same age, and so him and I, like, we met each other. We're, like, 8, 9, 10 years old, something like that, and, and met each other, and we just started, like, um, hanging out, having a good time, running, like, doing crazy stuff in the hotel, you know, like, like, you know, like, like <laughs> thank God there wasn't, like, you know, camera phones and, and uh, Twitter, and, like, I'm so glad my life wasn't documented up until, like, the last few years, so, anyway, we start hanging out. I think there might have been smoke bombs involved, but we started doing all kinds of stuff, 8, 19, and, and uh, just, just kind of causing problems and, and just having a good time. Well, you know they're from Australia, like that church is in Australia, and and they uh, like how I many I know like Australians they're just awesome in how they talk, right? And so I uh, just put a little shrimp on the bar, you know, and I'm like, yeah, it's, on the yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I love it, like I just want to do it, you know, and so the thing is. Like, Joel, like, he talked in, like, that Australian accent the whole time, the whole week I was hanging out with him. And so I go home to Arizona, he goes home to Australia, and, like, I, start, I keep talking like that for, like, two weeks. My parents are like, would you ever just stop talking, like, in this Australian accent? I'm like, no, no, no. Like, so you become, like, who you hang around, right? That's the point. It's a good story. So um, the odds are that the people you hang out with on a regular basis are the people that you will become Like, and so that's that's default formation. Intentional formation is this. This is where you're being formed by the community that you actually belong to, okay? You cannot follow Jesus alone. You just can't. It's not possible. You cannot follow Jesus in isolation and all by yourself. Jesus did not just have a disciple. Jesus had disciples. Apprenticeship, discipleship, it happens within a community of people. You want to know the reason for this? Because transformation, like we're talking about today, it only happens within the context of community. Only happens in the context of community. And I defined community last week like this. It's intentional relationships built around the way of Jesus. This is why you can have a lot of relationships in your life and have no community. This is why you can have a lot of friends and a lot of, a lot of, a lot of circles of friends and people that, you know, you can have a great time with and have no community. Because real transformation happens when we have intentional relationships in our life that are built around the way. That's the way it works. One of the main things, community here's why. One of the main things community does for us, there's multiple things, but one of the main things is just exposure, quite honestly. Because when you're in community with other people who are following Jesus, it starts to show you what is actually inside of you. Right? Here's a perfect example. Like, so you get married. Have we all know when you get married, all of a sudden you start to realize how selfish you are? Or you have kids, right? Like, no, nobody? Like, man, y'all just like, yeah, just me. Okay, so you get married, you begin to realize actually how selfish you are. You like to do things a certain way. You tend to run late. You don't like to run your plans by another person. Like, I'm just out, you know? Like, why do you need to know? You know, like, you know, you ever notice how selfish, how selfish you are? Like, when you get married, you're most interested in, like, what you want. Like, no, that's what I want to do. Like, you know, I'm going to play basketball three times a week or something, you know? Like, that's what I do. So, uh. That's what it's like. Over time, you start to realize really how selfish you are. Now, here's the point. Marriage is not what made you selfish. It just exposed your selfishness. Right? You are already selfish. Isn't it? Getting married did not make you a selfish person. It exposed that which was in you. Because there used to be no one around you to show you how messed up you are, and now there is. So similarly... Let me just, you got to follow the train. Similarly, this is what community also does for us. Relationships built around the way of Jesus, it exposes what's in us, and it provides an environment for us to change, to transform. Community, relationships, intentional relationships built around the way of Jesus are supposed to bring out the best in us, but they're also supposed to bring out the worst in us. And it creates an environment for change and for transformation to take place. Now, community is hard, it's really hard. And there's a lot of people who have probably been, there's probably stories here, being hurt by community. Because it's hard. But I believe that it is mandatory if you really want to experience transformation into becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, intentional formation flies in the face of some myths around spiritual formation, Okay and I'm just going to give them to you fast. Some of the primary myths around spiritual formation are, and I don't have these on the screen, but the, all you need to do is just know the Bible, and then you can become more like Jesus. It's a myth, it's a lie, it's not true. We all know that knowing something is not the same thing as doing something, and doing something is not the same thing as actually wanting to do it. There's a difference between knowing something and doing something. There are a lot of things that we know that we don't do, and there's a lot of things that we know that we don't do that we don't want to do, even though we know it's right. And what I'm trying to just say here today, like, like yeah, sure, the Bible's important. Like, don't misquote me on that at all. So valuable and so necessary, and you should know the Bible better. But you cannot think your way to Christlikeness. Christlikeness apprenticeship to jesus is not simply accomplished via information transfer it's why you guys find yourself sitting week after week year after year in seats like this and i'm going i'm scratching my head i'm like are they ever gonna get it you know like i'm like man many, should i just start preaching the same sermon week after week and then maybe it'll, it'll it'll take take root in their life it's why it's why you get frustrated with your life in christ because there's plenty of information being transferred to you but information transfer alone does not produce Christ-likeness. It's why when Jesus closes the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, he gives an example of two men each building a house. And in that story, in that parable, what does he say? He says, he says uh, anyone who, puts, who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a what? It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So when the, when the storms came, when the winds blew, that house withstood the storms. But then he goes on and he says, anyone who hears these words of mine but does not put them into practice... It's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The winds came, storms blew, all that stuff, and his house fell with a crash. And the interesting thing about this example is you have two guys with the exact same information, two entirely different outcomes. The difference in outcome wasn't because one person knew more than the other. The difference in outcome was because one person did something with it and the other didn't. Okay, so you don't just need more Bible, okay? Like, like, you, like I did say, Intentional formation, submit yourself to good teaching, okay? But also begin to practice the way of Jesus. Also put yourself in community. Information alone is not enough to just transform you into more, becoming more and more like Jesus. And then the second thing I think that a lot of times we get messed up on is a myth that you don't need to do anything because it's all God. You don't need to do anything at all. It's all God. So when it comes to transformation, this is what I believe. God has a part to play and so do you. God has a part to play in your transformation, and so do you. Dallas Willard uh, says this. He says, grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Let me say that again. Grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. So we struggle with this idea of like, actually having to like, effort or work hard or do some things when it comes to becoming more like Jesus because we feel like that's a violation of grace. No, 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 no. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Like I'm all for my kids showing me some good effort. But that effort is not what will earn them my love. You hear me? They already have my love. But, like, I'm down for them showing me a little effort. The effort is is necessary because repeatedly giving my kids the easy button is not what a good father does. Okay? Like, I believe that my kids have a part to play in becoming the women that I believe that they can become. And it's going to require some effort on their part, truthfully. So... When it comes to formation, a lot of times we think, I, I don't need to do anything. It's all God. Like, he's sovereign. He'll, he'll figure it out. Like, that's not true. And it has caused a lot of people major, major, major problems. So when it comes to your transformation into Christ-likeness, God has a part to play, but so do you. It's, it's not about, here, let me, just, let me just try to reframe that again. It's not about trying. It's about training. Okay? It's not about trying. It's about training. Listen, my, I, I got a kid in ninth grade, right? She wants, to, she wants to go out for golf, like never swung a club in her life. So I tell her to go out, <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of a funny, comment, but I tell her to go out, hey, hey, why don't you go out and shoot an 87, like tomorrow? Like, do it. And, and, and she's just like, that, Dad, Dad, like, what do you mean? Like, I, I can't. And I'm like, well, just try harder. Just try harder. Like, you're not trying hard enough. Just go do, like, no, 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 that's not how you do it. Like, there's a difference between trying harder and a difference between, and, and, and then training harder. So you go and you like you discipline yourself. You go and you actually like, like 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 do whatever it takes. Like because because she actually probably someday could if she actually trained herself to do it. She probably could hit an eighty-seven. Maybe probably not. Maybe She's my kid. But I'm a good one-twenty by the way. So I'm a good one-twenty. So uh, it's not about trying. It's about training, training and training to become more and more like Jesus. You guys can come on up. Or Tim, why don't you just come up by yourself? I'm sorry. I got a f- uh, I'm, I'm out, I'm out. The goal with transformation is for the Holy Spirit to become our dominant reality. This just sort of references back to uh, a few weeks ago when I talked about how to walk in the Spirit. But The goal with transformation is for the Holy Spirit to become our dominant reality. So more than our culture, more than our phones, more than... Uh, Our schedules more than everything else going on in our lives like the goal is that we are transformed into people where the holy spirit is our dominant reality the first and primary way that we experience life on planet earth is is this way like we're aware of the presence of god we're aware of the spirit of god moving in us trying to change our life like this right here this 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 phrase right here this is the baseline for transformation right here is this is like this is the baseline this is the foundation this is how you started out Holy Spirit becoming our dominant reality. And as we walk in the Spirit, right, as we keep in step with the Spirit, out of that is then the fruit of the Spirit we talked about a few weeks ago, Galatians chapter 5. So it leads us all to an important question. Is transformation possible? Is transformation actually possible? I mean, yes, right? I've just basically explained that it is, all right? So if you, you submit yourself a good teaching, start practicing the way Put yourself in community, yeah, transformation. But like that's easy because it almost feels like abstract when you try to copy and paste that into some of like your current context. Because like, what if you're facing divorce? Or what if you already are divorced? What if you're bitter about it? Like, is transformation possible? What if you've been abused? Is transformation possible? Like what if you feel like a failure? I'm sure there's some of that floating around. What if you struggle to believe that like failure is an event, it's not a person? Is transformation possible? What if you're like type A, super difficult? You know it, like like not just that you're type A, but you're like a lot, you know? Like is transformation actually possible into the way of Jesus? What if you're addicted to something? Is transformation possible? Yes, let me just tell you this. Yes, transformation is possible. But it's not inevitable. It's possible, but it's not inevitable. So the question is this. Who are you actually becoming right now? Who are you becoming? If you plot the character arc of your life out 10, 20, 30 years, Who are you becoming? Who are you actually becoming? Who do you see out on the horizon 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now? Do you see Jesus expressed through your personality? Do you see Jesus expressed through your words? Do you see Jesus expressed through your choices? Do you see Jesus expressed through your marriage? Do you see Jesus expressed through your interactions with people? who are you becoming? Or do you see something else? Do you, do you see something else? And I'm just here today to tell you that you really can change and you really can experience this transformation from the ground up. Like it's possible. Would you stand with me this morning? I want you just to close your eyes with me for a second. Just bow your head. Everybody in this room, just take a moment. Okay, I'm about done. But I want you just, everything I've been saying today, everything I've been saying, I want you just to begin to just call to the foreground of your mind right now something in your life that still needs to experience a transformation. When it comes to following Jesus and the way of Jesus, like recall something right now. Bring it up, bring it front and center. What is something in your life right now that just still needs to experience a full-on transformation. If you're here today and you would say, yeah, Pastor Jordan, there's some things. There's some things that I need the power of God to change and transform in my life. Could I just see your hand with every head bowed, every eye closed in this room? You just need some things to shift. You need some things to move. You need, you need breakthrough. You need mountains to, to, to come uh, tumbling down. You need, you need some chains to break. You need some things to just, to just go and be gone. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just step into this room now. I ask that you would begin to confront every single thing that is set up in opposition to King Jesus right now in our lives. Father, I ask in Jesus' name for freedom for every person under the sound of my voice, that every lie, every scheme of the of the enemy, everything that, that has been brought against them, every accusation, we silence the enemy and his accusations now. And Lord, I ask for that, that, uh, that he who the Son has set free would actually be free in this place, would actually feel free, hear, know, comprehend, and understand the freedom that you purchased on the cross with your blood all those years ago. I thank you that there's none like you. And so I gotta ask for just something really radical to take place, a never the same moment right now in our lives. Lord, I pray we would start to experience just a radical transformation from the ground up. God, begin to move things, shift things, get things out of the way, every obstacle. God, in Jesus' name, I pray you would just move it right now. pray the abundant life into this room and over your kids. The abundant life, the life that is life. God, all we just want is for you to get everything that you paid for on the cross. Jesus, we want you just to get everything you paid for. And so I pray that over every person in this room, God, that you would start to get everything that you paid for on the cross. Mind, body, soul, complete healing, complete wholeness, complete transformation, everything. Everything that you have to offer, God, I pray that it would be experienced in this room. I pray the renewing of our minds in Jesus' name. People who walk out of here different today because we encountered the living God, we give you all praise. We give you all glory. There really is none like you. So God, would you start to do in us whatever it takes to shape us, to mold us, to conform us into the image of Almighty God. I pray it would be so drastic, so noticeable. People we've known for years will start to just ask us, what's up, what's different, what's new? Why are you you saying no to that? You used to say yes to that. Why are you walking this way? You used to walk that way. I pray for noticeable, radical transformation in this room. Come and do in us, God, what only you can do. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.